I'm a fun you guy. You have fun when they finish below 500. I'm just Captain Fun. I guess. Or a captain suit, the show from now on. I don't like the half point. Well, that's called the hook. I don't like it. What the hook How do you get rid of it? Can you get rid of the hook? I'm going to have a coronary. I'm getting too old for this job, but you guys may have won. Upset. If you look back at where the term came from, it was from a horse race. Upset when did you turn a, into Cliff Clavin? I like this job. I've had it for a long time, Paul. Last one. This is the chemistry lab. You're on the verge of next year's Super Bowl. I can't Bowl. help Let what I think. Be honest, Paulie. You're not doing this for other people's entertainment. You are truly enjoying this. This is Orange Nation. With Stephen Fonte and Pauly Sebelia. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us. No Pauly Sebelia again today. Uh, out one more day. Stephen Fonte, Mario Sacco with you here on a Friday edition of Orange Nation. We've got a lot of guests to get to on the show today. We've got Christopher Kid Reed from Kid and Play. He'll join us at 12.15. Uh, Kid and Play, uh, they're going to be playing Sharkies on New Year's Eve. We'll uh, we'll tell you all about that in the next segment. We've got Elena Getzenberg, Bill's beat writer for ESPN at 1 o'clock. Barry Leonard, voice of Cornell men's basketball at 1.15. And then our good friend John Ryan will join us to uh, close out the show at 1.30 with his best bets for the weekend. And we'll, uh, we'll take your phone calls throughout at 3.15. 437-7644. A little subdued here as we start the show uh, due to uh, this news that, that we've, um, you know, we've just learned within uh, the last hour or so that uh, the, the great uh, Louis Orr has uh, passed away at the age of 64. If you happen to see uh, Mike Waters' post on Syracuse.com, uh, his death attributed to a battle with pancreatic cancer, just 64 years old. Um, you know, we'll certainly get into the the life and and the legacy that that he left behind here uh, as it pertains to Syracuse basketball. But honestly, Mario, one of the nicest guys you will ever meet, uh, truly one of the nicest gentlemen that you will ever meet, and uh, and gone way too soon at the age of sixty four. Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, first team All Big East back in nineteen eighty, and you talked about the Louie and Bowie show. Um, you know, it, it kind of put those teams. Kind of put Coach Beheim uh, on the map, so to say, uh, with Roosevelt Bowie and Louis Orr and, and what they were able to do in, in their time here at Syracuse. Uh, very sad of his passing. Actually, uh, a couple years ago, you know, Syracuse basketball fans got to see him on the sidelines coaching against him. Uh, he was part of Georgetown staff. Um, so uh, a very sad day for Syracuse Orange basketball fans. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, those two men, you mentioned the Louis Bowie show, the, those two men will be will be tied together forever. Yes. I mean, um, you know, Louis Orr is considered, you know, the first recruit to commit to Jim Beheim uh, when Jim Beheim got the job. And then, you know, obviously Roosevelt Bowie right after that. And, and they went uh, they went 118 over the course of four years. 100 wins, 18 losses. Uh, and as you said, that – Really, uh, and all you got to do is is go to the dome and look up in the rafters. And right, you, you see the two jerseys, the fifty five jersey. Uh, you know, um, so uh, just a, a a sad time right now for Syracuse basketball fans. No doubt. So, uh, so that's why we uh, we start with the the subdued uh, tone today. And you know, you we we talked you know last week about Pearl Washington and everything that he meant. And you know, Mike Waters said it on our our TV show last week on Orange Nation that. You know, Pearl was the most important player in the history of the Syracuse basketball program, and that includes Dave Bing, it includes Carmelo Anthony, it's, uh, you know, on down the list, all the great players that they've had. You know, Pearl was different. Pearl was an entertainer. Uh, he came at a time when, you know, the Big East Conference was just getting off the ground. There was the, 
you know, this new building called the Carrier Dome that, you know, how in the world are they going to fill it? And, you know, are, are 30,000 people actually going to come to the dome? And, you know, you, you talk about the impact that, that Pearl had. And, you know, before Pearl, it was these two guys, you know, Louis Orr and Roosevelt Bowie, and, and they, they signed up to play for, for Jim Beheim and um, they had a lot of success, and that helped springboard yeah. what came after with Pearl Washington. And, you know, Adrian Autry telling us last week that, you know, one of the big reasons he came to Syracuse was because of Pearl, right? New York City kid that, you know, he showed that, um, you know, you could come here and, and have a successful career and everybody would see you and people would come out to watch and, you know, you have a career in the NBA and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, if it, it, before Pearl, it was uh, it was Louis Orr and it was Roosevelt Bowie. I mean, this is where, you know, I have to date myself because when I came here, it was, I, I understood the Syracuse basketball history, but, you know, I, I really didn't understand it so to say uh i had to go back and and watch and watch the old clips of of pearl washington and just what he meant to this syracuse basketball program and and watch the old and talking to roosevelt Bowie. uh, i think it was a couple years ago but before the COVID pandemic um post-game shows uh i i would be on with him and just hearing the stories of of what you know louis Orr meant to him uh as a player and a friend um those are the stories that that make Syracuse basketball, Steve. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. And so, uh, you know, our hearts go out to uh, to the Orr family, and you know, our hearts go out to to Rosie, who, um, as you said, I mean, they were as tight as can be. Um, and it's it is it's a it's a tough day uh, for the Syracuse basketball family, and uh, just sixty four years old. He, you know, he was. You mentioned him being on the Georgetown yeah. staff. I mean, he was, you know, they, they moved him to special assistant. I mean, if you look at their website, he's, you know, he's still listed as a special assistant La- to the program. Last year he was on, right. on the sidelines right. against I Deshi. mean, he, he coached, uh, you know, with Patrick Ewing. And, um, you know, I mean, he was he was a basketball coach. And, and we know that, you know, he had some stops as a, as a head coach along the way. Um, it's just uh, it's a reminder that, you know, cancer touches everyone, right? And um, it's... Uh, it's just a sad day for uh, for Syracuse men's basketball. So, uh, with that, we will you know we'll move on and we'll uh, we'll we'll do a show, um, but but knowing that we've uh, you know we've got Louis Orr and, and his family certainly uh, in our thoughts. Uh, so we will uh, let's move on to, uh, to to the Jim Beheim show from last night, uh, Mario, and uh, um, you know the coach uh, touched on um, a few things that he touched on with us, and uh, I guess let's start with. Um, his impressions of this Cornell team that they have changed their style of play. We had Brian Earl on yesterday talking about how they uh, completely shifted, um, which was crazy. It completely what they shifted, used to what do, what they yeah. used to do because right. of COVID, because of COVID, yeah. and it, it it helped bring about this this change. They went from being one of the slowest paced teams in America to now one of the fastest paced teams in America. Here's Jim Baham on that. Coach Earl was never this. You know, he was a really half court coach, and you know, Princeton offense run through repetitions you know back doors open you know a lot of cuts a lot of movements uh half court defense um very little full court now it's full court trapping um initial traps or half court traps uh back into doubling the ball back into sometimes matchup zones uh, really variety of defenses with a lot of different guys in and out uh, really push the ball up the court uh, really fast fast tempo team yeah I mean it's uh, 
it's going to be a, a challenge. You know, this is a game again. Uh, Syracuse should be able to beat Cornell. I get that. But this is uh, it's a different type of team. They're going to get up and down the floor. They're going to shoot a lot of threes. Um, they're going to pressure you. You know, I was talking with Jerry McNamara yesterday, and he said, you know, we got to be on the lookout for, you know, on the outlet pass. They're not, their point guards aren't getting back. You know, their point guards are coming up and they're they're pressuring you on the outlet, trying to either cause a travel, get a steal, make it difficult for you to get up the up the floor, and you you don't normally see it. It's a different style of play that, that they're gonna have to get used to going up against them. Yeah, right off the miss. They're trying to double the guy and and steal the pass off the miss. So I saw that a couple of times in the Miami game and going back to watch that video. But here's the thing, and here's what has made Syracuse over this four game winning streak so successful is the way that Judah Mintz has been able to control this offense. Uh, he plays at his own speed, and, and I think Coach McNamara touched that on the interview on our Orange Nation television show. Of he's learning to to play at his pace, it, to not get sped up, um, and right now there's no team that can keep him in front of him, Steve. Yeah. If he wants to get to the hoop, he's going to get to the hoop. And he's been able to get to the hoop, and one guys are coming over. He's been able to find Jesse Edwards down low, and Syracuse has been able to take advantage of that. And I think this week against Cornell on Saturday, look for the same things. Yeah, he's uh, as Jerry said yesterday. He's been getting to his spots, even when you know his assist to turnover ratio wasn't what they wanted it to be. But he's making better decisions now. He's finishing. He's finding his teammates. His teammates are finishing as well, which is why his assist numbers are way up. He's got twenty-two assists, two turnovers uh, in the last four games. And as Coach Bam said last night, uh, part of uh, what is is making things easier for Judah is the the two veteran seniors in the starting lineup. One thing that helps when the better Jesse plays. They won't come off. They're not leaving. They're they're going to stay with Jesse. They're afraid of the lob. They're afraid that if they come off and he misses, Judah misses, he'll Jesse will get the rebound, which is true. So they make Judah go ahead, and he can finish those plays. So I think that the better Jesse, when Joe's in the wing, if you notice Joe's over there, Judah can drive that whole side. There's no help. So that was Jim Beheim on, uh, you know, when – when Jesse and Joe are doing their thing, it makes it easier for everyone involved. And, you know, that's the big three this year, right? It's it's Judah, it's Joe, it's Jesse. They need their backcourt to be good, to be successful this year. And the last four games, again, it's it's not a coincidence. The backcourt's been really good the last four games, and they've won four games in a row. And, and you, they gotta, that's got to continue. And you saw against Bonmouth when they weren't, you know, slacking off Joe in the second half, Judah was able to get to the rack, um, you know, and George against Georgetown. Judah would drive and, and get doubled, and, and two or three times they throw the lob down low to Jesse. Judah is able to see up over and, and get Jesse the ball. Um, Cornell doesn't have the, the height, and, and Jesse, I think, will be able to do the same type of things that he did against the Georgetown uh, in this basketball game on Saturday. All right, let's uh, get one more in from uh, Coach Bayheim. You know, we talked about the yesterday on the show about the the new freshman coming in and you know the transfer portal and and how you go about uh, making your roster here's uh, coach Beheim on, uh, on on looking ahead to next year's roster the potential of what it could look like we have an unusually large number we have 12 guys obviously uh, which is large number for us we, we but it's partly because guys leave and everything but all 12 of our players could come back or one two three four five, maybe six, could leave. And the, nobody knows that number. It's someplace between zero and six that could leave. And 
there's not really any telling that it couldn't even be any more. But it, it could be that many guys uh, that leave, and uh, you, you know, you just and the best way to replace. It, I mean, if we'd have gotten a couple of freshmen, that really wouldn't change much unless they were a great player. They, you know, if we get a couple of pretty good freshmen, but if five guys left. You need to get two or three guys that are juniors or seniors that can play. And that's where the transfer portal comes in. And, um, you know, I think everybody's learning how to use the portal to their advantage. And, and, and that's where it comes into play. If, if somebody leaves unexpectedly, okay, we'll go get one of those in the portal. Yeah, the days of sitting and redshirting a guy, so to say, yeah. and waiting your turn uh, till you play your, your junior year, maybe that's gone because those guys are, are now leaving and going to play elsewhere and you're looking for that junior or senior in the transfer portal, hence what we did, you know, picking up an Andrew White in the transfer portal, uh, uh, John Gillen, so to say. You know, people were wondering why Peter Carey played, you know, if he was a redshirt candidate, but he's obviously already played. And as you said, nobody redshirts you anymore. Do you, just, you, just, you, you get the experience you can get, and if you're, you're happy, you stay. If you're not happy, you move on somewhere else. All right, we do have to take a timeout. Speaking of moving on. Uh, we are going to get, unfortunately, Paulie's not here, but he was really excited to talk with Christopher Kidd-Reed from Kid and Play. I had a chance to speak with him a little bit earlier on the TV side of things. We'll talk with him next. You're listening to Orange Nation on ESPN Radio. ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. <laughs> Orange Nation with Steve Infante and Mario Sacco. Man, if you just missed that interview with the great Christopher Reed, kid of kid and play, don't miss them coming up at Sharky's December 31st for their New Year's Eve house party. I'll try to find some kid and play songs throughout the day, a little before my time, but that's no big deal. Started the show talking Syracuse basketball. I want to get into some football here a little bit. I woke up this morning and I was distraught. It's very tough now to wager on a bowl game because you have no idea who's on what team, who's leaving, who's staying, who's going. Uh, if you haven't heard, there are reports that uh, Jihad Carter is in the transfer portal. He himself hasn't posted anything on his pages, but there are multiple reports swirling around. Another Syracuse player potentially gone. As we discussed the portal, Washington State's head football coach, Jake Dickert, absolutely sounded off on the transfer portal, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. But there is immense uh, challenges, Colton, to what this portal and this NLI provides. Okay, There's more tampering going on than you could ever imagine. Okay, We've had guys contact our players' parents. We had, a, we had a coach from another school contact one of our players and offer him NIL, a coach. Okay, So there's more things going on behind the scenes that you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine the things that are happening right now to try to pry our players away from this place. Okay, and it's uh, it's it's stunning. It's amazing. It's the new thing that you know I guess comes with this portal transformation. Um, but it, it's not right. And who's going to regulate it? Who's regulating this stuff? You know. So there's challenges that we're facing that. I obviously are extremely disappointed with with what other teams and other programs and the collectives maybe act you know on their own behalf, but to try to get to our players' parents and offering money and opportunities and stuff is just it's unacceptable. To so that was again Washington State head coach Jake Dickert sound coming out this morning about some of the issues he's had to deal with with the transfer portal. 
and why I think this is interesting and want to hear your guys' thoughts on it. If you were to look on Twitter, look on the fan pages, everybody seems to think that this is a Syracuse problem. Right, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I, I don't think it... I don't think it's surprising. Like, everything he said there, it doesn't shock me, but something does need to be done. Like, I, I think the portal ultimately is a good thing, and NIL is ultimately a good thing, but I do think that someone, and I don't know if that's the NCAA or the conferences or whatever the case may be, somebody's got to rein it in a little bit um, because I'm not I'm not shocked with anything that was said, but it is it it's becoming free agency. It's becoming and and we you know the the joke has been it's you know it's been professional sports for a long time now because this makes it feel more like professional sports. It's just that it's on the table opposed to under the table, but it's off season free agency is what it is. And one of the even you know you touched on Washington State's coach there. One of the awful things that I've heard coming out of, you know, after Mike Leach passing, people going after Mississippi State players, you know, not even 24 hours after kind of taking advantage of that. So yeah, to say. that's awful. And it's just horrendous to hear. And it's like the NCAA is just trying to patch here, patch there, and then eventually the dam's going to break, Steve. And, you know, what that leads to, uh, we don't know, but there is no doubt that the NCAA needs revamped as to what – uh, is going on with the NIL and you know they just hired a new president with kind of legislative background so to say he had really no background in athletics at all so maybe you know that's the first priority of him when he steps in office uh, in March yeah so I mean they you know they they made it legal right to for players to get they paid made it legal because they had to make it legal. right like they, they were getting but they didn't like, really there's not like, a lot in the way of other than well you know yeah. the universities can't have anything to do with it yeah. you know it's got to be outside the university which again it's fine to say but there's a lot of gray area and it's it's very difficult to enforce um and so i i think you you know jordan you bring up a good point you say you think it's a syracuse problem i i've seen some things on social media like what's going on at syracuse like why are these no it, it this is everywhere this is everywhere and it's and you know we we will see it with guys who are even starters because they think they can go somewhere else and either make more NIL money or, you know, we bring up Quincy Guerrier on this show. He wanted to showcase a different part of his game or in the case of some of these these defensive players leaving, you know, maybe they're going to follow Tony White to Nebraska. I mean, again, in, back in the day, that wasn't necessarily a thing because the coach could leave, but then the players Which had to sit great. out a year. And but now, Matt if the Rule, coach leaves, you can yeah, follow him. Matt Rule brings in a four-star or a five-star, and those guys are wondering, where's my playing time? Right, no. there's always a risk, and we talked about that on the show yesterday. Yeah. There's always a risk to transferring. Uh, we've talked about that on the show going on, you know, a few Forever. years yeah. now. We've talked about that, so um, it is not just a Syracuse thing. It's it's an everywhere thing, and you're going to continue to see this um, for the foreseeable future. And I I don't know how they kind of rein it in, but I do think just, something it, needs to be done to rein it in a little bit. What hurts being a Syracuse football fan is these guys were starters here at SU, and, and now you know it, it's basically like a feeder system, you know, like minor leagues of the, the Syracuse crunch and moving up to Tampa Bay, these guys get good here at, at SU and, and are trying to move on elsewhere. Uh, before, especially basketball, that was not happening here at SU, you know. you This was a destination where you were coming here and, and you wanted to stay here. You know, um, Quincy leaving, who was a starter, that, that those are head scratchers to me. Like, we can understand Kadari. Uh, wanting to leave, so to say, but, you know, look at his situation right now. And and you can go down the line, you know, what's going to happen with, with Deuce, what's going to happen with uh, th- these guys going into the portal, a, a Steve Linton who you thought would see a, a lot more time next year. 
Uh, you know, it worked out for Tommy DeVito this year. Tommy found yes, out. Yes, it did. Um, but and then, he, honestly, he, that's how it's supposed to work, yeah. right? I mean, it's it's supposed to. That's how it's supposed to work. Where a guy truly feels like, all right, uh, you know, there's a roadblock for me to play here. I'm going to find a better situation and I'm going to thrive. And it and it worked for him. But there, it, that is, I was going to say that's twenty five percent. It may be the exception and not the rule. I mean, it, that's supposed to be what the rule is, but it, that may be the exception because there's always a risk to transferring. Um, and and I think we're seeing more and more of that. When you see thousands of names end up in the portal, that's a lot. Yeah, and, and before, back in the day, it was, you know, obviously. And people have to, have to understand, we're not knocking a kid for wanting to go and play elsewhere. Like, that's your right to, to go and, and, and think you can play elsewhere, especially in today's day and ages where coaches are jumping ship and, and, and leaving, you know, left and right and, and leaving their players to dry. But you know, being able to develop also takes a little bit of toll as well, and and that's just not happening anymore. I, I must say, I've never heard it referred to as uh, the portal transformation, as as he put it in that soundbite. They also called it NLI. Yeah, right. We know what he's saying. So now here's a here's the other part of this story too. I don't know if you guys noticed this because the big story uh, from out west was that the Big Ten might be growing. But also, the National Labor Relations Board in L.A. is working with USC to try to make their athletes pros. Northwestern tried to unionize a few years ago. They failed on that. So now they're trying to do it a little bit of a different way to form the first union for college athletes. Do you think that that should happen? It's going to happen. And if that happens... It's going to happen, yeah. So how does that impact what's happening now? It, it, it is a great question, Jordan, and I think we're all kind of finding out together. But, it, yeah, I mean, you're, Northwestern tried, and it, it didn't quite work out. Um, here's another attempt. It's it's going to happen at some point, and I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see what, what the consequences are. I think the same thing with the portal and NIL. Like, in theory, it's a good idea, and at its core, it's a good idea. But when you put it into practice, like the, it, it's it, there are some unintended consequences of NIL and transfer portal, and I think we're seeing some of those. And I, I do believe it'll work itself out in the long. But I don't know how, you know, how, how many years we're talking with the long run before this thing starts to settle down a little if bit. If you're SU, then how do you keep a kid here? Because you're not going to be able to to throw out a million dollars of NIL money. You find out a way. You find out a way to, to do that. And I think that they're they're trying to figure it out. They, you know, there, there's various ideas in the works and, and already, you know, out there, as we know. But it realistically uh, uh, down the line. It, well, it, we, we said this when NIL was was was, uh, you know, made legal or, you know, yeah. became a thing when the legislation passed. We said that the. There, the gap between the haves and the have-nots is going to grow. Like the Alabamas and Clemsons and USC's, yeah, you're they're going to get stronger and yep. stronger and stronger yep. and bigger and better and everybody else. The gap is going to grow between the haves and the have-nots. And that's why there's so much pressure now to get into the Big Ten or get into the SEC or you know make sure that you know when, the, when this latest game of musical chairs stops that you have a chair to go to because... They're the ones the getting fifty gap million dollars gonna, a year, right? The gap—it's just the gap. The financial gap is going to continue to grow and grow. And so you say, you know, how do they do it? You got to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> you got to figure <laughs> it out because it's not for me and you to decide. But yeah, duct no. tape and elbow yeah, grease, yeah, right? Yeah, like, 
My point is, SU's not turning around and handing a bag of $25,000 cash to someone. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the, it makes it more yeah. challenging if you're not Thank one you. of, you know, if and, and uh, if we're talking football but, here. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Basketball is completely different, right. I think. Not completely different, but different than a football you know what? I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I truly wonder, and not to use him as, as an example, but I'm going to use him as an example because I think he's a great example. What is going to happen with Aronde Gadsden? Because Aronde Gadsden can play anywhere in the country, and he can probably name the amount of money he would like to play for. You know, somebody's going to need him or want him, and is he going to stay here or is he going to go? So, and I, I don't know. And I don't mean to single him out. And he's, you know, That's from everything I understand, he's a really nice young man and comes ask. from a great family. I'm just saying, I truly wonder what's going to happen with that because that is the example of what you're talking about. About you know, how do you keep a kid like that here? Or you know, Sean Tucker stayed. Sean Tucker, you know, Sean Tucker stayed from. That was the big question last year. Now it's Aronde Gatson, and and I would say, and it's going to come up every year from here to to. Changes are made that you can rein in it, so to say. But it's going to happen because take a your best player on any team. That's you know you just mentioned Syracuse. You can take best player from I don't know Maryland, yeah, so sure. to say, right? And say, oh, you know, he, he's had a good year. Is he going to go somewhere? Is Ohio State or someone looking at him? Right. They probably just scoured the first team All ACC lists, <laughs> and they just send a text to every the, single guy. The thing with Maryland, Seriously. though, the thing with Maryland, though, is that they got the Under Armour money. They got the Big Ten money. Like Maryland has has some money. Might have picked a bad example. No, but, but I, Rutgers, no, right? <laughs> yeah. or, or even I would say someone out of the Big Ten yeah. or the SEC, like yeah. you know, and and not Clemson, right? I mean, somebody, anybody from the uh, Duke, you know? I mean, like anybody. I mean, people from were questioning if Drake May was going to go somewhere. Right. After the year that he had right. in North Carolina. Right. Like, and then he and then he committed. And that was like a oh good for him. He's yeah, staying like, put. Great job. You know like, what I mean? You're and, staying at North Carolina. And right? I would I would say the same thing. Like again, it's becoming the exception, not the rule. Whereas like if a Ronde Gadsden is still in the Syracuse uniform next year, I think we're all gonna say, Good for him. Like he stuck it out at but, SU. But on the other side, if you're Syracuse, this is a good thing now not necessarily losing a Ronde Gadsden's a good thing. This is a good thing for Syracuse to look at those guys at an Alabama because they are four and five star guys there that aren't playing and wanting to come somewhere else. And that's where Syracuse picked up uh, a Garrett Schrader, a Carlos Del Rio Wilson in the transfer portal. You know, they, it works they got, both ways. You're yeah, right. It does work not both to ways. The extent of, of, you know, losing a player like that to somewhere else. It, it, it works both ways. And I, I truly, you know, and I, I know we're going long here. We got to take a break, but no, like it's you, good. To, next segment's going to be short and I'll tell you why in just a second okay. to bring it back to like college basketball, for instance, the portal, you know, I feel bad for the mid-majors. Like, you, you bring in a kid who maybe was overlooked, you develop him for a year, two years, three years, whatever the case may be, and then he gets good, and, you know, he goes to St. Bonaventure or St. Peter's or, you know, name a mid, you know a lower to, to mid-level program, and then he gets good and it's oh, you know, we're going to take him, we'll take him, we'll take him, you know, and, and you lose all your best players after you're the one that you took a chance on him, you developed him, Especially. you gave him, you know, you gave him an opportunity, and now he's, you know, going to a power five so that he can finish out his career. Yeah, a, a big guy or, like you mentioned, you know, oh, he's averaging 18 points in the, the MAC with two A's. Uh, let, let's bring him in. All right, let's, uh, we'll get a, a phone call in on this topic before we take our, our time out. We've got Marty in Tampa. He wants to check in. Hey, Marty. what I hope. How's it going? We're, we're doing well. How are you? I'm all right. This is what I kind of hope happens. Um... I, I hope this thing pairs out sort of like they do 
soccer in Europe with the premier division. Then there's lower divisions. I don't know what they call. And we get out of competing with the factories, these huge state schools with, um, you know, way more alumni than us, much more well-heeled than us because they're so much bigger. And we settle into a place maybe with other private schools with like um, circumstances, like scenarios, and we put a competitive product out in the field for football and basketball, and maybe they figure out something where so many B division schools get to compete in the NCAA tournament because I kind of agree with Mario. It's not going to be sustainable at Syracuse. It's just not. It's just our size. Um, we're not a state school. We don't have as many alumni. And so I hope it settles out into divisions and we fall someplace where we can be competitive. I agree. Uh, Marty, here's the only thing companies like ESPN, companies like Fox. Companies like you know down the line I, I can name they're not going to throw fifty you know a million per each school to to have those TV rights at you know to get maybe a, a Syracuse uh I don't know we'll use Syracuse Rutgers uh, a couple of other schools in a conference and, and playing them on, on TV and football they're not going to throw that big money out there so you know uh, when it comes to it Syracuse needs to try and align itself with a way to to be able to when the you know wheel finally stops spinning to align it in a way that they're being able to get in, in one of those conferences. Well, that, we were talking about this when you know the Big Ten was expanding and USC and UCLA were jumping ship, and we were talking about all right if there if there's you know 48 teams that are in these super conferences, will Syracuse be one of the 48 teams? They they have to be like they right. I mean they and, and they, they have to the, be. You could talk about Syracuse basketball all you want and, and what it means, uh, you know. Syracuse is one of the, the the programs you think of when you think of college basketball, but quite frankly, it's college football that runs everything, and that's right. what you know. Right. It, that's what it's going to be. And I'm not saying I'm not saying they have to be like they're definitely going to be in the 48. Yeah. I'm no. saying they have to figure out a way to be in yes, that 48 because, because the alternative is is not so good. Yeah, and we like. I mean, we love the Big East, and, and the Big East basketball is is still a phenomenal conference, but they're not raking in right 45 million dollars a year. Because of Big East basketball, right. you want to see the gap grow. Then, and and I understand Marty's point, but you you want to be in whatever that upper tier is, you, you know. And I I don't know how they get there. And and Marty brings up good points about what's standing in the way. They they got to figure it out because you you want to be competing it's way with above the big you boys. and I's head. Yeah. To uh, figure out. All right, we we desperately need to take a time out here. Uh, good conversation. Uh, we will wrap up our number one next on ESPN Radio. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. Oh yeah. All right, Stephen Fonte, Mario Sacco with you for another couple of minutes here on a Friday edition of Orange Nation as we welcome in our final guest of the show, final guest of the week. We are pleased to be joined by the voice of the Cornell Big Red. Barry Leonard is our guest on the show. Barry, uh, great to have you on today. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm a little bit somber when I was talking to uh, Jordan a few minutes ago. I went to school in upstate New York at Ithaca College and was in school at the same time Lewis Orr played basketball for Syracuse. So my condolences to the Syracuse basketball and the Cornell community. A great player, even better person. I know it's a, it's a tough loss coming off the high of winning a 
championship in soccer, but it just shows you how the game of life can roll the dice sometimes. Yeah, very, very well said. And, you know, I mean, if you were in college the same time that, that he was playing, I mean, you, you know that, that he helped uh, spark what was to come out of Syracuse basketball, you know, the, the Louie and Bowie show. And, um, you know, he was the first big recruit signed by Jim Beheim, And, you know, Syracuse basketball maybe isn't what it is today without Louis Orr. No, for sure. And I think I, their senior year was the beginning of the Big East Conference, started that great rivalry with Georgetown and some of the other schools. But I remember that team like it was yesterday. You mentioned what Roosevelt Bowie from what tiny Kendall, New York, which has like a population of 900 kids that he came to Syracuse. Eric Sanifer was a great freshman. Tony Brune was just getting his feet wet, but they had so many great players on that team. Danny Shays was the backup center. I remember watching on TV when they beat Purdue out. was ranked fifth in the country with an NBA first-round draft pick, Joe Barry Carroll. But you're right, Steve. It really jump-started what has already been a great legacy of a program. It brought it to a new level. Yeah, very, uh, very well said. Um, all right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the the team that you cover and and you get to see them up close and personal on a regular basis. Cornell seven and two, the two losses. You know, we've talked about it by two points to BC and Miami. What can you tell us about this year's team? What uh, what have you learned about this year's team through nine games? Well, I've learned that uh, you could graduate kids and in some respects rebuild or reload. I think they're somewhere in the middle. They graduated four starters last year, three of them which are playing graduate basketball this year as fifth-year seniors. They've plugged four kids in who were bench role players last year, and they haven't skipped a beat. Uh, As you know from talking to your guests and Coach Earl, they love to shoot the three-pointer. They defend the three-pointer well. And best of all, Brian Earl says make your teammates better be a better teammate which means make the extra pass you look at their numbers you know they're averaging 18 assists a game uh, 10 three-pointers this by far is their most difficult matchup yet and as you already have noted the third uh, opponent out of the uh, ACC what is the the biggest issue that it, that Syracuse presents for Cornell? Is it Judah Mintz's penetrating ability? Is it Jesse Edwards and his size? Is it the length of the zone? What what is the biggest challenge you think uh, heading into this game tomorrow for Cornell? Well, Edwards, as we all know, he's a he's a he's a guaranteed double double regardless of what size player he's against. So you have to contend with his size down low. But you mentioned the zone, which obviously has been legendary under Coach Beheim. To me, that's going to be the biggest issue. Cornell's not going to change its style of play. Their time of possession is well under 10 seconds against most clubs, off makes or misses. They like to go and push tempo. Uh, if they have to shoot from the outside, it's going to be difficult against that zone. Uh, but I, I really think the length and the size of that zone is what Cornell's going to have to contend with tomorrow night. All right. Uh, last one for you we got uh, i don't know about 45 seconds here left you know how do you see this game playing itself out what what is the biggest key uh heading into this one biggest key for cornell is to you know continue to get their play their pace not get frustrated uh for syracuse uh i think hearing coach mcnamara on tv last night said they're gonna have to match the pace back and forth this isn't your old traditional Pete Carrill backdoor layup type of team. Syracuse has to be ready for the three in transition, and Cornell's got to be able to uh, defend as well. All right, Barry. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Sorry we're up against the clock, but uh, safe trip here. Uh, 3 o'clock tip tomorrow inside the Dome, and uh, hopefully we can do it again down the road. 
Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure. All right. Uh, Barry Leonard, the voice of Cornell basketball. And with that, we uh, close out the show. Fifth caller right now. We promised you tickets. Fifth caller right now at 315-437-7644. Go into the game on us. Uh, and so with that uh, final thought, Mario, as we wrap up the week. Let's see Syracuse, you know, grow in this basketball game and, and you know, Judah Mintz continue to play well as you head into the ACC play right around the corner. All right, Jordan, uh, we got to get you out of here. Bugsbegone.biz, you already know. All right, uh, enjoy the weekend, everybody. Hopefully we'll have Paulie back on Monday. For Mario, for Jordan, I'm Steve. Brian Higgins coming up next in the 315.